to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is a podcast that's been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you might be listening from today, I want to say thank you to you for tuning in. My name's Paul Joy, and as the host of this podcast, it's my delight to present another conversation today with a Yarra Old Grammarian, Hannah Carter from the class of 2013. And Hannah has combined a passion for music and, and opera and singing and performance with a career in care and frontline care in speech pathology and that combination of the two has an interesting beginning way back in her time at school through adversity one can discover so much about oneself but then also use that to launch into uh, connected yet separate careers and uh, i'm sure you'll appreciate the complexity and the passion with which Hannah is able to share her story in this uh, episode of Inspired by Yarra. I'm going to begin by asking Hannah, when did you start your journey at Yarra Valley Grammar? Uh, So I started at Yarra in 2007, so a little while ago. Um, And some of my early memories, it'll sound quite bizarre, but... um, there was an old art school next to the Year 7 building and I just remember lunchtimes um, going to sit with my friends and just hanging out and chatting and I was really lucky that um, most of my Year 7 tute group actually became my friendship group that I lasted with throughout the whole of high school. So we sort of all bonded and would go out and sit outside the cla- art classrooms for lunch. It sounds quite odd but that's quite a positive memory that I have from quite early on. That's a great memory. and. I wonder what is it that draws people together in that that year seven year because you've got students coming from all over the place, you've got people bussing in, we've got different primary school experiences and there's a cohort that are, you know, they've been in our junior school here at Yarra. What do you think, how does that work? Were there things that that the, the teachers organised that helped you connect and meet or was it just a natural inclination that you you connected to somebody who had the same colour hair or liked the same music or enjoyed the same things from the CAF? What brought people together? I think that's a really interesting question and interesting to reflect on. Um, a lot of my group uh, initially were from the junior school who were in my troop group. Um, and I think probably what brought us together is that most of us were musos. So we did the choirs, we did the bands, um, probably on the nerdier side of things and people who were very <laughs> academically driven. So I think when you have those same sort of goals um, and interests, it makes it quite easy to connect um, on another level or you're motivating each other to push each other in class and it creates really interesting conversations when you've all got similar interests as well. So, yeah. I think that's what yeah. we together. For sure. And and what were there any highlights? Was there a, a, an activity or a class? You mentioned music, and I know in Year 7 um, part of the program is everybody gets to have a go at a new instrument. Um, part of Year 7 often we, we go away on camp. Um, part of Year 7 is your maybe toward the end of Year 7 you're starting to have a go at Saturday sport. Are there any kind of big standouts from your first year at Yarra Valley Grammar? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Standouts. I don't know that there were particular standout moments, but I do remember um, obviously when we had to pick up an instrument, um, I picked up the flute, which I stuck with for the following six years. And I remember um, most of my friends, again, stuck with their instruments that they'd picked at that time. And we got to have this little, like for the following year level, the year sevens, we all got to like have a little play and like show off a little bit, um, which really wasn't that great showing off. We were year seven, played the instruments for about six months, but that was um, quite a fun experience. And most of my friends are in that. And so it was kind of nice to do that. Um, 
Honestly, I think, and the more I've grown up, the little things are the things that make a difference to me in terms of building those connections. And it's the random laughter that you have over some silly thing at lunchtime that kind of builds those connections and that rapport often. Um, And then spending that time with the people that you really enjoy sort of brings it all together. But I don't, yeah, from year seven, I don't think there was anything super standout-ish for me. Sorry to anyone sure. missing or something. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a teacher who's listening who who thought that they had done the most amazing <laughs> lesson and were thinking, surely that's your standout. But alas, I appreciate that it all it does tend to blur in. I'm just curious to ask a little bit more about your music. And did you have a background in music, or was it that first introduction to the flute? And you said you you continued that on for six more years. Was that your first taste of it and you loved it so much or or did you have a bit of a background? Oh, I had a bit of a background in music. When I was about seven, I joined like an external out-of-school choir, the Australian Youth Choir. I didn't want to join. It was, you have to join because my brother did it and it was very convenient to drop us off at the same location. I really wanted to dance. Thank God I didn't. I have two left feet. I have a beat, but very uncoordinated. Um, And then I just stuck with it. Um, I actually stuck with it all the way through to year 12. Um, But yeah, I did choirs. I played piano for about three or four years before going in. And I just loved to sing. My brother was into music. My dad's absolutely tone deaf, but my mum is really enjoyed uh, music when she was younger. So I definitely lived in a household that like to learn music and like my mum would have a piano lesson than I would and then my brother would so um we were never I guess the most musically inclined um naturally talented group but I definitely uh had a lot of exposure to music before coming into school and then I think it was just such at that point such a part of who I was that um I'd always wanted to pick up the flute and when my brother had started at school I knew about the year seven music program and my parents like you can start when you go to Yarra so that was something I'd always really looked forward to doing and like I love sight reading I loved all of that aspect of learning another instrument and one of the things I absolutely love about music yes the music making part but it's the music making with other people um so it's that whole the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts for me with music. So I loved getting to play in bands and see that interplay of everything. And that's one of the things I love about um, music. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that connection. I think that's beautiful. It would, it, would you say that music is still an important part of your life today? Yeah. So um, when I finished school, I actually did a bachelor of music um, and I majored in classical voice. Um, so that's, uh, that was a fun experience. Um, I unfortunately had a vocal injury in my second year of uni. I actually had one in high school as well. So I took a little break from singing, which is when I went and did my master's of speech path. Um, but I did a young artist program with Opera Scholars Australia throughout my master's degree. Um, and I'm still continuing to pursue singing um, at that sort of professional level. Unfortunately, not a huge wealth of opportunities in Canberra, but I've been in a few shows and done a few um masterclasses and got some good connections built up here so it's still very much a large part of my life um Mm. yeah now you've you've given us a couple of little snippets there you've mentioned Canberra and you've mentioned speech pathology but before we launch into that I just want to go back a little bit you you mentioned both at school and since leaving school you've had some voice injuries um what is a voice injury? Like I understand a sporting injury where you, you know, you might pull a hammy or you might twist your ankle or what does a voice injury look like and how do you recover from that? So there's actually a lot of different voice injuries. Um, I'm going to give you a little uh, snippet which I use with my patients because I actually work with patients with voice injuries now as well. Um, if you look at your thumbnail and you draw a V from the centre to sort of the outer points, that's the size of your vocal folds. So they're very tiny. So you, we use our vocal folds all day, every day when we're talking um, and they vibrate at incredibly high rates. So if you overuse them, um, which is one of the more common things to do, you can cause strain and tension and um, overuse can also result in nodules. Um, If people have watched Pitch Perfect and they they hit the fear of nodules in singers, they're actually very treatable. Um, But uh, so nodules can be like little lumps that are on the vocal folds, which are caused by irritation. Um, And you can get other things. So from specific 
events of trauma you can get like polyps or hemorrhaging which is horrifying and different things like that um, just from overuse there's all other sorts of vocal injuries from like having tubes in your throat to help you breathe and that sort of thing um, but my experience um, I'm an asthmatic and I got an infection in my throat in year 11 um, and then I got sick and then I sang whilst I was sick so I had pre-vocular nodules um, which essentially there was hardening on my vocal folds at one end where pre-formation of the, the lumps essentially so I, I went through that experience of kind of finding out about the scientific side of singing is how I like to put it in terms of really learning about the anatomy and way the way everything works um, and so I had to do because it was based underlying was an infection I had like antibiotics and then I did lots of vocal therapy um, and then in my second year again I had I sang while sick and um, got a just strain and um, damaged my cords that way. So I went through therapy again um, and actually relearned the way to talk. So a lot of Australians will like glottal fry and not put enough air into their sound, which can actually um, exacerbate trauma, uh, in particular if you're a high or we call like um, professional voice users, which is just anyone who does a lot of talking in their day job. Um, so I kind of relearned to talk with a much more forward sound um, uh, so it was a really interesting experience and sort of one of the reasons that I've ended up in speech pathology because, um, I mean, maths was my favourite subject at school. Um, so I very much had that left brain thinking for someone as a musician who's quite right brain. So I really enjoyed uh, going through those processes and understanding why and everything. And yeah, now I'm a speech pathologist as well. <laughs> Wow. And, and perhaps it, it wouldn't be too much of a, a stretch to, to suggest that maybe your experience of having an injury and a voice and then going through the process of learning and understanding what that was actually all about and then recovery, it's not too much of a stretch, is it, to consider that that might be why you pursued speech pathology? Is that part of your journey because of that experience, do you think? A hundred percent. When I had my second vocal injury, my therapy session turned into me just being like, wow, this sounds amazing. And asking all these questions about speech pathology and then being like, right, therapy, what am I supposed to be here for? Um, I was really lucky. I did quite well in high school um, and that uh, there are certain courses at Melbourne Uni which you can get um, sort of guaranteed Commonwealth placed entry into for certain master's programs. Um, and I was really fortunate given my grades and that my course Bachelor of Music was deemed as like a feeder, feeder course that um, I went into speech path sort of after that because I was like, this is great. I'd love to have that side. And I think there's no harm in understanding more. Like uh, so many singers, you mentioned the word nodules and they freak out. Whereas I'm like, oh, yep, you just do this, this, this and this and you're fine. Like it's, it's such a manageable thing. And I think that insight and having that more holistic understanding of the voice is so great and I think it helps being a voice therapist as well because um, I can relate to what they're going through but I also know the commitment so I can set very realistic expectations about you know it is going to take this much time and doing it this frequently to get the outcomes that you want we don't have a magic wand unfortunately that fixes things um, so I think that insight has helped on both ends of the spectrum. Wow and we probably do need to move on from speech pathology soon, but I'm, I'm so fascinated. There's a couple of questions I want to ask in terms of um, maybe me going back and re-listening to some of those things that I might need to warn my mother-in-law about, about overuse of the voice. But for those who, and of course I wouldn't ever do that, but for those who do speak, and you said, you know, that sort of a professional talkers or use their voice to project and to what are what are, are there two or three tips that we could be wary mm. of to protect our voice that you could tell us in the next you know minute or two yeah I mean there's a few really basic things um our vocal folds are really small and we have a form of sorry for queasy people like secretions or lubrication over our vocal folds which help them vibrate so if you're dehydrated, you're going to lose that lubrication and then you've essentially got raw muscles and um, mucosa hitting against each other, which is quite trauma, uh, traumatising. So keeping really hydrated is a really important one. If you're going to have alcohol, tea or coffee, having some additional water so to sort of counteract those things. Um, 
The other one is massively listening to your voice. If it hurts, give it a rest. It's same as when you pull a muscle or, you know, you're pulling up a bit sore from a workout. Give your voice a bit of vocal rest, which means no talking, um, and that'll, like, help the muscles heal a bit. Um, one of the that, other now that, ones... that right there is the advice I need to pass on to my mother-in-law. <laughs> sorry, sorry, mother-in-law. <laughs> That's all right. Look, it's... I... I love to talk and I think um, everyone who knows me knows that I can just talk like there's no tomorrow. So vocal rest is something I use quite a bit um, or I'm very aware of. I know everyone loves to have a drink, uh, you know, especially after like opening nights and that sort of thing. Just have a bit of vocal rest in the morning and do a few little vocal warm-ups. For anyone who's a non, like, you know, non-singer professional voice user, if there's anything you can do to warm your voice up in the morning, whether it's just doing some gentle speaking, little like humming type sirens. So like, um, I'm going to give an example. Hopefully this comes up all right, but like going, mm, mm. so essentially by gliding and using what we call a semi-occluded vocal track, so like an mm, 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 uh, rolled R's um, and slowly scooping up and down between notes, you're just gently stretching and warming up the vocal cords. So that can be a really handy little thing to do in the morning just to, I often do it in the car on my way to work just to get my voice going because I do a lot of talking at work um, and it makes a difference. They're probably the big things I would suggest. Great, great. And uh, if you didn't catch all of those, let me recommend that you just uh, rewind by two minutes and you'll get all of those great tips again. Hannah, thank you. That's terrific. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. I wonder if you can, let's head back to school for a, a little mm -hmm. while. And you mentioned there that you did fairly well at school and, and you got some numbers that, that worked out okay for you. Yep. Where would we find you? If we were looking for you on the property somewhere at Yarra, where, where's a spot other than outside the art area? And that was probably a social <laughs> space rather than a, I want to be close to art and that kind of level of creativity. Yeah, yeah. But where would we go <laughs> to find you? Uh, I mean, it really depended on the year level as to where my group of friends hang out. I think every year level you had a sort of different space that you'd hang out in. But uh, most of the time, I frequently hung out at the music school. Um, I mean, I often had rehearsals, lessons, friends had rehearsals, um, and we'd hang out around that area. Um, year 12, there's... Uh, if it's still the same year 12 building as when I was there in the main area, there's like a little seat right at the very end of the main area opposite, I guess, directly opposite, but far away from the kitchen space. And that was my friend's little group uh, spot in year 12. And I remember, you know, year 12 is a pretty stressful time. And me and one of my best mates uh, had the same Friday free periods, but we had orchestra. So you couldn't, uh, couldn't go home because you had to hang around for rehearsals. So we called it our hot chocolate Fridays, which we would grab a hot chocolate in last period and just debrief and chat and, um, you know, just cope with year 12. And uh, you probably could have found me frequenting there um, outside of those times. Um, that was sort of a place you'd definitely find me in year 12. So tell me, and I really appreciate that, and I would have to let you know that that space is still there, but somebody else has taken over that space. And, and that is the way it goes, isn't it? You know, you have your favourite places mm. and the, the spot to be, but you also then, um, without having any control over it, you pass it on and it becomes somebody else's special place too. And, and there's something kind of nice about handing on the baton of, of the quality of that space. You worked hard when it was time to work. You rehearsed and you had a lot of commitments outside of the academic classroom, and yet it seems that you found time to also catch up with friends and socialise and have hot chocolates. <laughs> now, some would talk about balance or focus or how did, how did you fit it all in? Was there was it a deliberate intention to have Friday after, Friday chocolate to... to find balance so that it wasn't all work, 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 or, you know, for, for students who are going through some of those pressures, whether it's high school pressure or whether it's university pressure or, or maybe job pressure, what would you suggest in terms of finding a way to cope? Um, I was a pretty busy person from the get-go. I mean, even from year seven, like if I think about year 12, like obviously we had your two sports that you played. I was in five musical ensembles. I did drop debating in after year 11. Sorry, everybody. Um, 
but I also like did lots of outside of school things and I did the community links portfolio as a prefect as well and was very invested in that and I think it's to, for me it was a conscious choice like I love being busy that's how I tick and that's something I've learned from my time at Yarra um, but I work in a really stressful job like I work in a hospital and there's a never flowing never ending flow of referrals and for people for us to see that can sometimes be really overwhelming and like I'm pursuing a second career so it's um, also quite a juggle for me, things that really help is being really conscious about your time and uh, I've done things to make my work more efficient but I've also been more conscious about taking five minutes just to be very mindful whether it's my five minutes and I'm grabbing a glass of water between patients and doing some hand hygiene and just thinking about that, taking a few moments to breathe can be really good. I'm also big on to-do lists and scheduling because I feel like they can be be very um, cathartic in terms of great tick, 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 tick. Even if you don't get through all of them, you can feel like you've done something. And I'm notorious for adding stuff to to the to-do list so that I can tick them off to make myself feel like I've done something. Um, But I think that's a it's something that really helps me go uh, adjust to being like, wow, I'm really busy, but look at what I've done, breaking things up really small. But I think the thing is making the conscious effort. Like um, I have lived in Canberra now for three years and it can be really challenging. Like I didn't know anybody moving up here and your friends in Melbourne just keep moving on with their lives and seeing each other all the time. And I have little reminders in my phone to be like, don't forget to schedule your monthly catch up with um Bronwyn and Flora or like different people just so that I'm consciously going okay this is my time to connect and to foster my friendships um that I've created along the way so um yeah to-do lists really making a conscious effort with scheduling and mindfulness is great um big advocate I work in very stressful areas um and mindfulness is a really wonderful way just to disconnect for a bit Mm. so mindfulness just tell us again a little bit about a practice what's one suggestion or one tip that you could suggest for a i don't know might be a two or three minute activity that we we could just dip into our bag of tools and Mm -hmm. and pull that out and, and and spend some time being mindful what does that look like um so a really quick one uh, that I probably pull out all the time is something that I learned through singing. Um, obviously, singing is a very you get very anxious, and the uh, prior to going on stage, and your heart rate go, heart rate goes up, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I actually did a class called Peak Performance Under Pressure, and this is where we learned it. And it's called centered breathing, um, and essentially there's a lot more complexity. So to anyone who does know centered breathing pardon not including all of that but essentially it's finding yourself in a comfortable standard or seating position picking a point on the wall and essentially you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth and say you breathe in for two you breathe out for four breathe in for four breathe out for eight and so the idea is that you're just really consciously focusing on the breath um, and it helps reduce your heart rate um, can clear your mind and the really extended version is then you can visualize and use it as sort of um uh, silent practice or visualization of techniques um, before you walk in to do something. So if you're about to go into a big speech, taking three minutes or two minutes to do a few breaths and then thinking about your opening line and how you're going to deliver it. And that sort of um, has shown evidence even to improving your performance from that perspective. But I love it. Like walking into an interview, we'll just sit there and do a few um, deep breaths to focus and de-stress. I love that. Some practical tips and suggestions along the way. This is a, this is a terrific journey for me. So thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Take us back again to school. You've done really well at school, and then you go to what? Because you you've talked a little bit about some study and further study, and then mm-hmm. to toward further study, and and then you're working, and you now you're in Canberra. Take us back, and what did you do? after you finished at Yarra Year 12? You've walked away and you've got a good score. Does mm-hmm. it let you into what you want to do? Yeah, so I always think it's quite funny. I worked exceptionally hard and potentially sometimes focused a little too much on my studies and didn't see the bigger picture um, for a degree that I had to audition to get into. It was at Melbourne Uni, so I still had to get, like, you know, above 70, but I got well above that. Um, and it was based on audition. Um, so I went and did the Bachelor of Music at the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music, um, where I specialised or majored, sorry, uh, in classical voice was my experience there. So that's what I did straight after uni. And then 
straight after that went into the Masters of Speech Pathology and then uh, straight after that really wanted to work in the hospital system with SpeechPath, uh, got a grad job, happened to be in Canberra, so I moved to Canberra. Okay, so you're on, effectively you're on the front line. So right now we're, we're, in, we're recording this in the midst of 2021 and um, the COVID lockdowns continue to impact states across Australia and you're in one of those environments where lots of people are coming and going and in fact in an environment where lots of people who are coming and going are potentially very unwell. And mm-hmm. not that you know necessarily what the problem is, but you are... You are confronted with um, the general public every single day. And what are some things that you're experiencing, whether it be from an anxiety perspective, whether it be from a a physically preparing yourself and um, I I guess cleansing yourself or or putting barriers in between you and them? And how does that actually impact on your professional work? What's your experience in Canberra at the moment? Look, Canberra's been exceptionally lucky. We didn't have a case for well over a year um, until recently um, when we had the outbreak. Um, So we've been actually very relaxed in the hospitals. We haven't had to wear masks until recently, but I guess that shifted probably about two months ago, I think it is now, um, when Sydney started to go into its outbreak. Um, Obviously, that creates a level of anxiety in the hospital because there's a degree of we don't know Initially, there's a lot of who is positive, who's contacts, who's where are you going, what are you doing, um, and that can be a bit anxiety driven and it's a bit anxious uh, even of a morning like you know especially we're in spring now and everyone gets hay fever and you're like oh like what am I what are my symptoms am I symptomatic am I putting someone else at risk and just being really conscious that like the people I work with are very unwell and if I were to go in sick I would feel very guilty. Um, about passing something on even if it wasn't COVID to them Um, so there's definitely a level of anxiety and there's definitely a level of burnout I think everyone's working really hard and we're dealing with patients that can't see families which can be really challenging because you know for someone who's got dementia or who's delirious that's essentially confusion having familiar people around can really um, ease that situation and reorient them and provide them with comfort comfort so um, a lot of that burden then falls to uh, healthcare staff we have a um, a lovely allied health assistant who's been going around um, in her spare time and helping people call their families to sort of build some of that connection because hospitals are not a very nice place to be if you don't have to be Um, but without the families that can be quite challenging but in terms of how that's impacted what I do um it's impacted what areas of the hospital we can go into. Um, So speech pathologists work across pretty much the entire range from babies and paediatrics, not that that's where I work, all the way through to geries uh, or geriatric patients or working in an ICU, which is more where I work. Um, But we have to, so now we have to wear scrubs at work, so we're not wearing home clothes um, to and from in terms of risk of contamination. We have to wear a lot more PPE when we're seeing most patients, which... It's not a fun experience and you can get very sweaty under the gowns and everything that's layering up. I um, One of uh, the things we do as a speech pathologist is we x-ray people's ability to swallow safely. And so you have to wear lead gowns and if they're on any precautions, it's like um, a lead gown, then the plastic gowns over the top, shields, masks, and it can be very challenging to breathe. And um, I mean, you think after the end of a run, you're really sweaty. You know, you need to get your thoughts straight at times. So that can be quite challenging and exhausting in and of itself because by the time you get the mask off, you're just like, they just take a deep breath and kind of reset and go again. Um, I guess I haven't really faced too much burnout because we haven't been too bad here in Canberra, cross fingers, touch wood. Um, But yeah, that's sort of been my experience so far with the pandemic. Yeah. Tell me, and I I guess I want to give you an opportunity for a, you know, a 30-second brag. What's going really well for you right now? And it might be in connections or, or fitness or health or it might be in study or writing or what, what's, what's kind of what are you getting excited about at the moment? What's, what's working really well? Oh, what a great time to ask that question. Um, I think something that I'm really focusing on is balance in my life at the moment. I am trying to get back into my routines, which 
from running to working at reasonable hours and not staying late and getting back into my singing. It's been very challenging through COVID to find that motivation and I feel like I'm just getting back on track with finding that balance and I feel quite proud to be someone who has such a diverse, I guess, uh, careers, I want to say, in terms of I just I like that I get to manage so many different things. Um, I don't know if it's a brag, but I'm pretty proud of like how I'm trying to adjust to the circumstances and still continue to pursue um, my areas of interest. Um, I mean, a humble brag is that I'm really happy with where I'm going at work in terms of um, working in more complex and high acuity areas for someone so junior. It's been a really great learning experience and I feel like I have the faith of my seniors to be working in those sort of areas, which is my one little sort of like really um, – win type situation at the moment uh from a work perspective that's awesome that's awesome and when you speak about careers is are you do you put singing and performing is part of that and then speech pathology and helping and caring for others is the other part are they the two kind of careers that are coexisting at the moment yeah so um speech pathology and i always knew this um from when I was studying that, you know, they were going to come in waves of which was the more important one and getting my foot in the door in the hospital system was a priority for the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, the two careers that I'm sort of looking at is being that sort of acute speech pathologist with the voice side as well. And then hoping to pursue singing to an extent, I am definitely not your queen bee diva centre stage. It's not my cup of tea. Um, the anxiety is too much and I probably just don't have the motivational drive for that. But again, I love singing, ensemble, singing in ensembles and I've, you know, done a young artist program and um, performed with uh, National Opera, which is a new professional company in Canberra as well. So they're sort of the two things that I'm juggling um, at the moment, yeah. I love it, love it. So in the midst of all of that, uh, what... In, in terms of the juggle, what's some advice that you've received along the way or maybe you've you've read it or somebody's told you, somebody's guided you, somebody's recommended you? Is there a, a way, you know, you mention balance. Is that right? Is that real? Is there, I don't know, do you have a little note on your fridge somewhere that is a regular reminder to whatever? I'm... Not, not to be negative, but I'm going to kind of go in reverse that when, when I was in my undergrad and I was reaching the end of my third year, I had a performance. I was in a chamber ensemble with one of my best mates who also now happens to be a speech pathologist. Um, but our teacher literally went to us, oh, you're, you're doing a different career, like good riddance. You're no longer a singer in our eyes. You're not committed 100%, which is a bit of an Australian culture thing that, you know, as soon as you've gone to pursue something else, you're not committed enough. And I think actually it's been a few of my friends who have been in similar situations of I'm going to find that balance because it's what I want to do. And I think, again, that's why I'm quite proud that I'm still managing to do both um, despite people saying you can't do both. Yes, I'm not uh, your Anna Trebko's or your super famous centre stage people, but I don't want to be that and I'm going to find the balance for me. So it's almost in that people saying I can't do it that makes me want to do it. But the thing I would have for people in a similar situation is remembering why you're doing it. Um, and especially in the arts industry, which has lots of rejection and competitiveness and drama, of course, it's really good to know why. And I think that's why I know quite clearly that my why is for that collaboration to create that really high level music that's at um you know, we create something amazing because people are very in tune and know their abilities and we can work towards uh, finessing something. Um, so I know that that's what I'm working towards, but I still need to be in of myself a very good singer to be able to do that. So that's my motivation to keep singing. It means I sing differently and I don't necessarily learn certain types of repertoire because it's not what I'm striving to do. Um, but remembering why is probably my big thing like think about it talk to your friends about what their why is just to give you some ideas um and that's sort of what I always come back to I'm like why am I even doing this it's very been very challenging the last two years I think I've been lucky in Canberra I've had two operas that I've done and a performance and a few small performances that's more than a lot of people in the last two years um 
but not having things to work towards can make it really hard to remember that why. Um, I also then have music that I love to listen to that makes me remember why I love singing. So being um, lacking small ensemble type stuff, there's a great quintet from Carmen, which if I'm like, oh, you know, losing my focus, I just listen to that. And I'm like, oh, this was the best thing. Um, I actually got to sing that quintet with orchestra at Opera in the Alps. And that was an amazing experience. And one of my friend's family members sneakily recorded it. So I've also got that to listen to and watch and remind me what and why I love performing so much. Um, and that's where I draw my motivation from the experiences and the emotions that I felt from that. Fantastic. I, I, I really appreciate the wisdom in that and it's lived experience. You know, it's the way that you have found it works. And uh, I, I think that's beautiful. And, and what a, a wonderful way to find balance in the arts and performing and sharing your gift with the art and gift of helping people in their moment of need in your um, speech pathology work. It, uh, it's really a life of service, it seems to me, and you're tapping into different elements or different skills that you have in order to be able to help other people um, at, at, in their moment of need. And that's why they come to an opera or that's why they come to a speech pathologist is to to make things better than what they are, to be entertained, to be um, enthralled, to be um, swept away into a new sense of reality and the beauty of that. And, and you're equipping people to do that, and I think that's that's outstanding. I wonder if we might move now, because you've spent time on stage, you know what it is to centre yourself, you know what it is to take a deep breath and then calm yourself down because I'm going to invite you into the lightning round where there's a whole bunch of quick fire questions coming at you and there's almost no time to prepare in between. You've just got to keep on singing. Are you ready for the lightning round? Oh, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Hannah Carter from the class of 2013. What house were you in at Yarra Valley Grammar? I was in Plummer. And were Plummer any good back in your day? Honestly, I can't remember. Is that terrible? I was I was never your fastest swimmer or your runner, so I didn't do a lot of house sports. I don't know that we were terrible, but I can't remember if we actually won. <laughs> what do you think was your greatest contribution to Plumber? Hmm. I think they brought in a house music thing towards the end of my schooling, so potentially there. We also did, like, house uh, sports as well, so, like, house netball and that sort of stuff. So... I wasn't an amazing netballer, but I was uh, reasonably good, so potentially contributing to the team there, I guess. Yeah, so you, you earned some points for your team along the way. Is there a musical or a drama, a performance that you were either in the audience for or maybe even up on stage for that that is one of those moments that you just go straight back to because it was wonderful? Um, yeah, so I was in the symphonic band for about four years um, and in my year 12 we performed at South Street and I got to play a solo which was very exciting for, I do it all the time with singing, but flute was um, quite a unique experience and we performed the suite uh, from Copeland's The Tenderland which in full cycle I then sang the song from it that was also as part of the flute solo in my graduating recital from my undergrad um, which she sings about graduating so it was a bit of a full circle and definitely a memory that I go back to because it was such a um, an amazing experience to perform on like the South Street um, the stage in Ballarat and everything with uh, such a great ensemble. Tell us how did you travel to school what was the morning routine like? Uh, so when I wasn't uh, getting up early for either uh, music rehearsals or the occasional volleyball training, I caught the bus, which was always a fun experience, waiting outside in zero degrees, wondering whether the bus would come or not. Uh, yeah. Very good, very good. What would we regularly find in your lunchbox at school? Oh, I was a very boring person. I had just stock standard sandwich every day, but I did love in year 12. I would have a toasted sandwich. That was a that was always fun. And I would always have that at recess because it was so long from your 7.30 a.m. rehearsal through to um, lunchtime that I'd probably have my lunch at recess with a toasted sandwich. <laughs> did you have a nickname when you were at school? Ah. Oh. Depended on the group of friends. I was very much, everyone just called me Hannah. I had a few friends call me Carter. Um, 
but honestly, people didn't start calling me Hannah until I like left school, which is now what I, most people refer to me as um, from a nickname perspective. I had one friend actually who always called me Cartier. Um, that was just their random thing that they liked to call because they liked jewelry and my name was close to that. So. <laughs> um, eventually I'm going to be able to visit Canberra and thank you for inviting me over for dinner. If I was coming to your place for dinner, what are you gonna serve up? What's a go-to? What's your uh, dish that you enjoy serving to visitors? Oh, look. I've got a few things that I quite like, but I'm going to draw on uh, my housemates and I just did a, you know, we can't go out or do anything. So we did our own sort of fancy three course Brownlow dinner the other night. Um, and I'd make a pretty good chicken parma um, with a salad and chips. Super boring, but a classic. And it's nice to bring a bit of Melbourne to Canberra up here. Otherwise, I make a good, I call them chicken parcels, which is just like a mix of veggies and chicken in filo pastry. But they always go down a treat as well. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to take myself out of your dinner table, but you can invite any three people from any time, any era, any moment in history or uh, current. Who are three people that you'd love to have around the dinner table? Look, in the current climate and um, having listened to a few of the other podcasts, the first people I think of every single time in my family. I have been home to Melbourne once in the last two years because of lockdown and restrictions on healthcare workers and how we can travel. Um, so I, I'm very close to my family and that's the people I would go to um, straight away. But if, uh, you know, we weren't in COVID and I see my family whenever I want, um, there's probably... Uh, three people. So first one would be Kate Miller-Heidke. Um, she is a classical contemporary crossover singer and I think it's great the gap uh, that she's filled in bringing awareness to that. I mean she performed at Eurovision with a bit of a crossover piece and that was amazing. Um, I'd probably have Jacinta Ardern just because she is a fierce leader of New Zealand um, and so young and a woman and I think it's just fantastic what she does. And uh, potentially someone I've actually met before. Um, uh, she's called Debbie Filan and she's sort of a leading speech pathologist in quite a unique area, working with um, professional performers um, and like a LinkedIn with theatre companies for managing people's voice across like shows and long, long runs. Um, and I think that that is a job I'd love to do. And so I'd probably invite her over to steal all of her trade secrets <laughs> um, after a few wines. <laughs> Lovely work. Now, one day, eventually, you're, as your career, your performing career continues to grow and the world's going to open up again, you have the opportunity to perform on any stage anywhere around the world. I'm sure you've dreamed of this. Where would you love to perform, albeit maybe not doing a solo, but just to be on the stage performing in what venue? Oh, I am someone in terms of travel. I love London and the UK and it's somewhere I've always wanted to live. So potentially um, Covent Garden Royal Albert Hall, definitely not solo, but like performing to some extent in one of those venues. They're just iconic and such a part of music history that I think that would be pretty incredible to perform on those stages. Wonderful. I'm tipping this is the answer is not um personal protective equipment but what's a what's your favorite piece of clothing in your wardrobe at the moment look i live in canberra and i know everyone from melbourne says it's cold there but it is freezing up here so my puffer jacket gets a lot of wear up here um i probably couldn't live in canberra without it so i'm gonna go with my puffer jacket <laughs> what are the two most used apps on your phone uh messenger to talk to my friends um I'm not a big, like, I don't do games or anything. I honestly can't think. Uh, probably two different type of messenger apps, honestly, between uh, different things. Or potentially voice recordings as well um, with practice and listening back to that sort of thing. Kind of boring, mm. sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's okay. Is there a book that uh, had an impact on you, something that you would recommend, whether it's it might be a little bit strange, a bit you know, left field, or maybe it's a, a go-to, whether it's in your career as a speech pathologist, or maybe it's just a book that you enjoyed having on your bedside table. 
Oh, I'm so lame here, but I'm going to say Harry Potter. And the reason I say this is that I wasn't a big reader when I was younger. Um, I really didn't like it. I'm a very slow reader still. Um, but when I lived in Sydney and we would travel to Melbourne via car, we would listen to the audiobooks. And it was some of the first books that actually got me interested in actually reading. And I think one of the first books that I read were the Harry Potter books and that sort of... Um, sort of led to my interest in reading. But these days I really like um, the Kathy Rikes Bones books, which is um, a bit scientific and medical, um, but also murder mystery. Um, and I'm like, read what you like. And um, sorry, it's nothing super exciting, but there's stuff that helped me step away and just kind of escape to somewhere else. Mm, mm. That's great. The school motto is Lavavi Oculus. Do you remember what that means? I do, thanks to all the other podcasts. Um, it means lift up um, our eyes. Um, and in terms of what it means, whilst Evan's in school, probably couldn't have told you, didn't really pay that much attention to it. But I think the perks of perspective and time, um, that I think it's looking at the bigger picture. And it's like I wasn't necessarily always good at at school, um, at looking the bigger picture. But these days, you know, what's one bad note? What's one bad performance? It's the people that you've got around you that um, help you um, navigate life and get through it. So I think it's seeing that things can't, won't just crumble because of one bad thing that happens and looking at the bigger picture of everything and understanding why and that sort of thing. Mm. Hannah, this is called the Inspired by Yara podcast. What or who inspired you at Yara? Um, so I think there's definitely my friends. As I said earlier, I was um, in quite a nerdy group slash muso group of friends, but my friends were generally pretty uh, talented slash overachievers. I think um, from my core group, all three of my closest friends were captains of something from arts, uh, debating and music. So I think I was always driven by how much they achieved and their passion and inspiration for what they did. And that was always really motivating to be like, wow, that's so cool. I'm really interested because of your passion. And then there's my teachers. I have two sort of examples. Um, again, weird person, loved maths in school, but um, I really loved Mr. Raff. Um, I found him, his passion for maths and for understanding why why something works or why something that was the way the equation worked um, and his uh, passion for that, quite vocal and loud passion for that, I found really engaging and motivating because that's the way I think I'm a very much a why person. Um, but also my music teachers were incredible. I mean, I remember being on music camp once and we were playing this really hard piece that we'd gotten like on day one and everyone was like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. And our music teachers just picked it up, sight read it straight away. And it was just like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Or like they'd be jamming and um, Mr. Templeton would be playing something and then Mr. T would come in and pick up same key, improvise over the top. And I was like, that's just amazing what music can do and what that talent shows. So that was always really inspiring as well. Mm, I love that. I love that answer. Both both your friends, you know, that's an important part of the journey through school and, and kind of spurring each other on and supporting and caring and loving each other along the way, but also the aspiration of some teachers who you admire and their ability and their passion. And I think that's part of what makes a great teacher is somebody who's passionate about what they're trying to impart and helping the students in, in their class, in their environment, in their sphere to perhaps capture a little bit of that same passion and that interest. And uh, I think that's part of what makes great teachers and, uh, and we have many of them at Yarra Valley Grammar. My final question for you, Hannah, and, and I appreciate you've been really generous with your time and, and thank you for that. And it's sort of a two-part question. And the first part is Hannah Carter from the class of 2013. What question do you really wish I'd asked you during our conversation today? Um, I think one of the things that potentially a question about, uh, I'm going to pull this just from the questions that I was sent as a bit of an idea, but the Yarra spirit, potentially asking a bit about that because something that I loved about Yara like I didn't really fit down the line I wasn't just nerdy or fitting into the academics thing I wasn't just a muso I even did quite a bit of sport in my time from volleyball and netball 
and I did debating and I liked that Yarra is an inclusive culture in that majority of the time, unless, you know, house points are on the line and you're not a very fast swimmer, you can give everything a go and everyone is generally very supportive of that um, and you had the opportunity to be so many different things. You weren't just one thing. And I think that's something that I was really grateful that Yara allowed me to do. And it's something that to this day, like I still play in a netball team. I still do music. I'm still doing a very academic scientific based career. And that, and that focus on like, I love working in collaborative and supportive environments. And that's something that I think I've taken away from my time at Yara. Um, And I think that's not what, not saying that other schools don't do that, but um, from friends who went to other schools, you know, it was very, you had the one thing that you were good at and you focused on that. And I loved that I could kind of not do it all, but do a lot of things at Yarra in a very positive environment. Mm. I love that. And Hannah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your generosity of conversation and storytelling. And, and I think part of the richness of this conversation is that you are broad in terms of your passion and your interest and your ability and what I really appreciate is that you you find what it is that motivates you and inspires you and excites you and then you pursue that and you want to know more and learn more and get better at it and I think that that is the mark of an outstanding young woman who is going to have a significant impact and I really feel proud that in some way your school Yarra Valley Grammar has been part of putting some of those pieces together and contributing to that and now you're flourishing you know you're flying you're helping people on on so many levels and and I think that that is a beautiful contribution that you are making so thank you for enlightening us on your journey and giving us some tips and really practical strategies along the way I really appreciate your time and for sharing. So thank you for being inspired by Yarra, but you are very much now an inspiration to Yarra. So for that, we thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, that wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And (laughs) I hope you saw and appreciated and valued the, the beauty and the complexity and the drama with which Hannah shares her passion for music and singing and performance with a passion for helping and serving and caring and helping people to (laughs) sometimes literally find their voice. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did we would love you to pass it on to share it to give us some feedback post a rating and a review of this podcast this episode and that helps other people to find it if you have others who you know would benefit from and be interested in this conversation then please share it with them also I hope you'll join us again next episode when we sit down with another yog to see how they too have been inspired by Yarra and to make sure that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes you can follow used to be called subscribe but nowadays follow so that each time we release a new episode that it will come and be downloaded to your device and you can tune in my name is Paul Joy and on behalf of everybody at Yarra and in particular those who put together these stories and these conversations and share them with you on the Inspired by Yarra podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in and wish you another day of inspiration where you go out there with intentionality to make a positive impact in the world around you.